0: As you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Um, if you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 978. Um, so I just want to add my voice to Hayden's voice and uh, wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. Um, it is a joy and an honor just to be able to open up God's Word on Mother's Day. Um, but I know... In the midst of Mother's Day, that's a a day that we celebrate and the culture sets aside to honor mothers, but also um, can be a sad time where um, those that have lost mothers um, experience just real loss and real remorse, and then there's the pain of those that wish they could be mothers but can't. So um, this is always a a mixture of joy and sadness and pain, and so... um, this morning instead of just diving into to something that's In particular to mothers, I want everyone to be able to receive and hopefully see Jesus in a clearer way. He's the answer for those of you, if this is um, a joyous day or for those of you that this is a painful day. Jesus um, is the remedy and he is the answer. My prayer is that you would receive grace and mercy and peace um, as we look at his word from Ephesians chapter 4. So, happy Mother's Day. Um, You're welcome. Um, so, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you just didn't fit in? Like, you're in a social situation, you know that there's, like, a little box, and you're supposed to be inside that box, but you know very clearly that you're outside the box, right? So, I have an experience like that. Um, Now, looking back, it probably wasn't as exhausting as I thought it was, but uh, when I was engaged to my wife, we uh, were very much looking forward to the honeymoon. Like, I remember um, this was the days of travel agents. So I remember asking, you know, my bride to be, I said, if you could go anywhere in the world, where would you want to go? And she said, I, I was thinking, like, we're going to Paris. Like, I'm thinking, we're, you know, maybe Hawaii. She said, Disney World. And I was like, all right, we can do that, right? And so I was excited. So I took her down to the travel agent. And um, Disney, I mean, I wish the the marketers at Disney actually worked for the church because they are a master at marketing. So they had all these wonderful brochures that are um, targeted at newly married couples. And so we they, we landed on this land and sea package where we were going to spend some time at Disney in the parks. And then we we're going to go on the cruise. Um, And so the park and that part, that went really well. I think we had a good time. Um, But when we got on the cruise, things kind of took a little bit of a different turn. And uh, our experience didn't quite line up with the brochure that they gave us. I mean, the brochure was full of glossy photos of couples walking alone, hand in hand, right? Um, Over candlelight dinners by themselves. And, you know, I mean which we have five kids now, so I can find the humor in this, but I mean, wouldn't you know it on a Disney cruise, there were a lot of kids on the Disney cruise, right? And so we're on our honeymoon, so that was one thing, and then um, we we missed one of our ports of call because we were in the middle of a hurricane, and what was supposed to be the highlight for us was that, that you could sit down as a couple each night and have dinner, but if you've ever been on a cruise, like you don't get to sit by yourself, but they don't show you that, like, in the brochure. So we're, um, we're sitting with all of these couples, probably, that at least at that point, seemed like they had been married forever, and I remember, like, having to make awkward conversation for three days in a row, every meal, like, trying to find something new to talk to these couples about, and, you know, and I'm going to just scout's honor here this morning. These were the most boring people in the world, like... <laughs> And, I mean, and I know it was fueled by insecurity now, because I know people a little bit better, but I mean, they would go on and on about all their money and all their vacation homes. And I mean, by the time that the dinner was over, I mean, I was, I mean, I was literally exhausted. Yeah, it's exhausting trying to be somebody you're not. Is that true? Right? Have you ever had that experience? Like When we are not living in the truth of who we are, it's exhausting. And I wish that that was an isolated um, incident. But we live in a world where we're always trying to change ourselves and always trying to be something that we're not. Right? So um, it doesn't matter if that's inside the church or outside the church. I mean, we're always trying to change our hairstyle. We're trying to change diet and exercise we want to change our scenery and go on vacation we are a culture that is obsessed with change and I wish I could say that the church is someone that gets this right but for most of the time when we talk about change inside the church it brings exhaustion instead of freedom am I right right so what we're going to look at in Ephesians chapter 4 is the truth that God wants to give us a better way to change. A better way to change than pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps. And a better way of changing than our self-improvement projects, right? See, if you're here and you have placed your faith in Jesus this morning, there's a real battle and a real temptation inside of you, um, to kind of mistrust what God says about you, right? I mean, if you're honest, you probably think that there are areas in your life that at best, God is frustrated with you. If you're even more honest, there's probably areas of your life that you feel like God has given up on you. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 is kind of to help us get a grip on how do we approach the topic of change, right? Most of us feel like God's spoken these massive truths over our lives that we are loved and that we are forgiven and that we are accepted. But it feels a little bit like religious hocus-pocus, that he's just saying something that's not really true about us. Well, Ephesians chapter 4 is going to help us get into touch with what God says and feels about us, especially when it comes to the area of change. And so if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me as we read... Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 17 to 28. Now, this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let's pray. Father, I just pray in these moments that you would help us to understand what you are saying to us, especially about the topic of change. I pray that everyone here would tangibly feel lighter after gazing on the mercy and the grace of Jesus. Thank you for another opportunity to engage you in your word. I pray that this morning that you would break in. Um, I pray that you would break through our religious formalism where we're just going through the motions and that you would allow us to see Jesus with clarity and with honesty and with beauty and that it would make a difference in how we live our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Right, so we're talking about the topic of change this morning. How do we actually grow, right? And this has the potential either to weigh you down or to set you free. And so... The big biblical theological word that we're talking about this morning is sanctification. And that's the process by which God makes us more like Jesus. And so um, the way that you believe how you change actually is one of the most important things about you. I mean, if you really actually think that it's up to you and it's about the effort that you put in, you're going to end up exhausted. But if you believe the truths of Ephesians chapter 4 here this morning, it has the potential to set you free to be who God has already declared you to be. This is supposed to be good news for us this morning. And I love um, just the language that Paul uses. He, He uses the language of walking, right? I mean, he has a realistic picture of change. This is not a sprint. This is not like go to a revival meeting and you will be changed for the rest of your life. This is just Walking, this is something that was part of um, the early church 's everyday life. They were walking everywhere that they went, and what he says is, "I want to change the way that you walk by changing the way that you view yourself and so this is really um, this is a comparison between the, the old life. it says the old self in this passage and the new self that we have in and through Jesus Christ and this gets eminently practical because what this Absolutely, is talking about is the way that you view yourself, right? Now, if we're honest, most of us view ourselves like an aging Hollywood starlet who, at the moment of imperfection, runs and gets plastic surgery, right? Or we we, we figure out that there's some flaw in our character, and what do we want to do? We want to be able to cover it up, and we want to be able to hide, right? There's lies that all of us believe about ourselves. This is even in the business world. Listen to this quote from Seth Godin. He's a business leader and an entrepreneur. He says this, People don't believe what you tell them. And I would say that's true. (laughs) They rarely believe what you show them. They often believe what their friends tell them. But this is the truth about everyone in this room. They always believe what they tell themselves. Right? So, Ephesians chapter 4, in a nutshell, is... You, every day of your life, tend to view your life through the lens of your own imperfections, right? But what Ephesians chapter 4 is about is you beginning to see life through the perfection of Jesus and through the perfection of the gospel. And the difference between those two things are radically different. So we're asking that God would change us, that we wouldn't be most aware of our flaws, that we wouldn't be most aware of our imperfections, that we wouldn't be most aware of our insecurities, but we would be aware of the perfection and the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. That's the truth of Ephesians chapter 4. And that's, that's really why Paul, if you've been tracking with us uh, for any time in this series, goes to great lengths in the first three chapters to tell the Ephesian church and ultimately us who we are. He says, you are loved in Jesus Christ. You are treasured, you are adored, you are adopted, you are sealed with the power of the Holy Spirit. These are not just words that describe you, they are who you are. And that makes all the difference. Those are to be the descriptors of which we view ourselves. And it's important because, I mean, there are a group of people that are just like us, right? I mean, they have lies that they believe about themselves. If I was really a Christian... Would I struggle with this? If I was really a Christian, wouldn't I be further down the road? Am I the only person in the room that, I mean, this, this marks 20 years for me as being a Christian. And I can't even fathom that. I remember being a 20-year-old young man, and I would think, at least at this point, like, if I had not already changed the world, I would be on the cusp of changing the world, right? Right? But what a wise older person once said is, the older I get, I can't even change myself, right? That's, that's what we're wrestling with in Ephesians chapter 4. This battle that goes on inside of us. But to be able to really grow in Jesus Christ, we have to know who we are. Because insecure people look for life and health and peace in anything and everything besides Jesus, right? Right? So when we are tempted and when we look outside of ourselves, what we are revealing is we've forgotten who we are. So God wants to remind us of who we are. The first point that we're going to look at this morning is, there is a real battle, right? There's a battle between the old self and the new self. This passage shows us that the presence of conflict is, is progress and not failure, right? How many of us, if we're honest, like we would be discouraged and we grow weary at the idea that we actually still have to fight the fight of faith, right? I mean, most of us think that because there is a real battle going on, that that means that there's something wrong going on. And what Ephesians chapter 4 says is that because something is going on inside of you, and because there is a real battle going on inside of you, it actually is saying that something very right is going on inside of you. Because listen, there was a point in time, according to Ephesians chapter 2, that you were dead in your trespasses and sins. There was a time when there was no conflict in you. There was a time when you were giving to yourself and you were doing anything and everything that you wanted to give yourself joy and comfort and life and peace. But now, because God is merciful, He has caused you, to be made alive, He has imprinted on your very DNA the presence of His Holy Spirit, and now there is a battle. The presence of the conflict that's going on inside of you is not failure. It actually is progress, right? So there is this battle that goes on within each of us each and every day between our old selves and our new selves, between the, the way that God He made us be alive, moved us from death to life, and now we have this real and very precious promise that we have been made in the image and the likeness of God by His Spirit. This means that we have progress, not failure. The indication that you have to fight is actually an indication that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. What these verses communicate the old self, right, who we once were, is defined by our lack, what we want, what we desire, what we deserve, what we think about ourselves, what other people think about us. The new self is defined by what God has done for us in and through Jesus Christ, that we are made in the image and the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, the presence of conflict is proof positive that God is at work in you. Now, the second lesson I think that we can learn from these verses is that change is about believing better before it's about behaving better. That's an important truth for us living in the religious South. Change is first and foremost about believing better before it's about behaving better. Look at verses 22 through 24. It says, "...to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires." and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So, it begins in the spirit of our minds and what we believe. Change begins not first by changing our behavior, but by changing the focus and the object of our belief. Now, there are two major ways that you can try to change yourself. One is the linear mechanical version of change. So, if you have uh, an engineering background at all, um, this morning, I grew up and I joined the Navy when I was 18. And so I remember going to a school in San Diego and they were basically teaching me the, the basics of electricity and electronics. And really all that that it matters is that current flows like from the ground and it has to have a complete path to form a circuit. And so they would put all these little um, resistors and diodes and microchips and they would say you can take the current here and you can take the current here. And if current's not flowing, you can put an X over wherever the current stopped and that's your problem. Well, that's how most of us live the Christian life, right? So if you having problems at your job, right? I mean your boss is a jerk. Your coworkers are all jerks, right? What do we typically think about is the problem, right? It's our job, right? So we need to get another job. Like and Christianity has done this for a long time. There there is a famous in church history there is a man named Saint Simon of Stylites. He was a monk and he thought that the problem With the world, was the world, and so he decided that he was going to live on top of a pole. For the rest of his life. So he spent 40 years on a platform out in the wilderness just so that he could withdraw from the world. And what's ironic about that is that people thought that he had found the the path to true wisdom and knowledge, and they actually started building like all of these poles and platforms all around him, and people were coming to him, and his desire to escape the world actually made the world come to him, right? But listen, What Ephesians chapter four is saying is that X does not mark the spot, right? Circumstances don't cause our sin. They reveal our sin. Where you put the X is like when we sin and when we are tempted, right? What we are doing is actually forgetting who we are. That there was a time that we were living in our old self defined by our desires, but now we are made in the image and the likeness of God and true holiness. And so what this passage is calling us to do is to remember who we are, not to first change our behavior, but to remember who we are, that we are loved by God, that we are treasured by him, that we are adopted into his family. We are holy and blameless already. That's the things that God has said about us. And then the next thing that this passage reveals is Who you believe you are will determine how you walk. Who you believe you are will determine how you walk. Now, I get way too much credit, like, as a dad. Um, There's just something magical about when I walk home uh, and I come through the door at the end of the day. Like, my kids are so excited to see me. They run up and they grab my leg and they're like, Dad, Dad, I'm so glad you're home. And... um, like my wife is the real hero in our family. Like she does every event. Like she goes to all the year end school things. But I've had the chance to to do a few of those things. And um, my son was playing basketball. And there's always a moment like when there's one of these events where I lock eyes with my children and I give them a thumbs up. And there's just something about, it. I mean, they, I mean, you can just imagine, like they're doing their little play or whatever, and I give them the thumbs up, and they are just like, wow, right? I mean, they are just captivated by the fact that I notice them, and they begin to walk a little bit taller, right? They begin to remember who they are, right? In this sea of people, that there is at least one in two people in the crowd that are for me, and it changes the way that they walk. Well, that's exactly what's going on in Ephesians chapter 4, is that we're supposed to remember the fact that God has acted on us by the power of his Holy Spirit, that he has moved us from death to life, that he has brought us into his family, and it's supposed to change the way that we walk, right? The problem is not the temptation that we face each and every day. The problem is we forget who we are. And this, I mean, this played out in my life in a powerful way. I believe it was 2007, um, right after Hurricane Katrina, took a team of college students to New Orleans, and we were doing some cleanup. And I remember, um, we're staying with this host family, and I remember just trying to lead the team, and I I think I even did like a devotional from Luke 18, which is kind of the parable of the tax collector and the, uh, the sinner, and the guy says, Lord have mercy on me because I'm a sinner, and I was basically like for about 10 minutes to these college students telling them how much of a sinner they are and how much they need a Savior. Instead of building them up like in the truth that God loved them, all that they were aware of that at that moment was the fact that they were sinners. And this lady who was mature in her faith, I mean, she just, you know, pulled me aside subtly after that in a few days. And she said, now, do you think that you are a sinner who occasionally gets it right... Or do you think that you are a saint who occasionally sins? And at that moment, like, my eyes were opened. Like, the primary way that I saw myself was as a sinner. Now, you can ask my family. I absolutely am a sinner. I need a Savior. But if the primary way that you view yourself is through the lens of your sins and your failures, you know what you're going to walk out your sins and your failures over and over again. So I began, I did a Bible study that year of what does God actually say about his people? Did you know that there are two to three times in the New Testament where the word sinner could actually be applied to someone that believes in Jesus? It appears over 260 times The idea that we are saints and that God has declared us to be holy ones. So at least if we're going to be biblical, we need to think about ourselves as holy ones, as saints, as those that have been set apart at least 70 more times than we do the idea of our sinners. Who you believe you are will determine how you walk. Right, And I believe that God wants to set us free to be able to begin to walk and live in the good of His love for us. To be defined not by the lens of our failures and our struggles, but to be defined by the love and the approval of the Father. Just like my kids when they walk across the stage, I know that I have the love and the approval of my Father. That changes how you walk. That's what God wants for us as His people. So, Our identity is not primarily built on our behavior. Our identity is not built on our sins and our struggles. So, I mean, I think a helpful exercise for us this morning is to take whatever area that you think that God has given up on you, or maybe you've even given up on yourself, and to take that in light of the truths of Ephesians chapter 4, and to know and to hear God say, that does not define you. My love defines you. The cross of Jesus Christ defines you. Now, I don't know in a, in a crowd this size if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ or not, but the defining moment for all of humanity happened on a hill called Calvary where Jesus Christ, who was the Holy blameless, spotless Lamb of God was nailed to the cross so that people like you and me can take um, the attention and the focus off of ourselves and place our attention on the perfect and spotless one. And the miracle of all miracles in the gospel is that what's true of Jesus now becomes true of us. And that changes how we walk right that's the most important thing that you can remember when it comes to change we don't change ourselves in fact god himself has already changed us and we get the truth of living out what he's already declared us to be that's freedom and that's joy compared with the bondage of trying to change ourselves so church hear this this morning you are loved without limits you are loved without boundaries let's pray Father, thank you for your great love. Thank you for your mercy and your grace towards us. I pray that you would help us to believe what you say about us. That you would help us to overcome our insecurities. That you would change the way that we try to change. That we would believe what you've said. In Jesus' name, amen.